Every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. And let's just spell it out for you. E-C-H-O-P-L-E-X. They fucking laugh at us! I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee Just like my straight white male dad did to me a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt but to me that doesn't matter cause my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly A penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do the show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. You can check us out on YouTube. Our YouTube handle is echoplexmedia. I decided not to go with something shorter, just not to confuse people. People get confused (laughs) real easy by these things. Uh, And you can uh, support us at echoplexmedia.com. Just click the support tab. And everything else you need to know about us is actually on our website there. Just click around and... I don't know, read the defamation times, press the play button on Echoplex Radio. Just spend your whole day on my website. I'm producer Dave. You can also <laughs> find me on Grinder, but you gotta be within like a like a radius. <laughs> <laughs> and I am HK Perrin. You can find me on Twitter at HK Perrin. Uh hopefully for a while. Hopefully I won't have to take it down. Uh I've heard it's gotten worse. So yeah, uh, you can also find me on Twitch at Silfweed, which is my gaming channel, and that's what I go by in the chat. So if you're talking to someone named Silfweed in the chat, that's me. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, <clears throat> you mentioned Twitter, and the big thing in the news has been Twitter and Elon Musk. Um, I looked around for some interviews with Elon, and what I thought would be really interesting, and by interesting I mean fucking infuriating, 
would be to take a look <laughs> at him from right before all the stuff with Twitter started. So it's going to be him on the Lex Fridman podcast. Um, I got into oh, it with one of Lex's fans, you know, as you do on Twitter the other day. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty great because he was like, he, I said something about how Lex is like, doesn't really ask tough questions. And the people who think he asks tough questions are like lying to themselves. And he's like, oh, you just haven't consumed his content. And I said, hey, dude, I've done over 160 <laughs> episodes of a podcast about the intellectual dark web. Do you think I've never encountered Lex Fridman's content before? <laughs> We've probably done like what four episodes on specifically just him and his interviews. Four episodes plus like post game stuff, plus like late night stuff. Other nights, I might end up hitting up a, a Lex discussion if I see it, if it gets recommended to me. I don't know. I mean, we haven't consumed as many hours of him as we have of say, uh, old Beef and Benzo's Jordy Pete or uh, <laughs> Golden Girl Extraordinaire Sam Harris or the Weinsteins. But we've certainly, he's yep. what we used to call them, what the, uh, the associated assholes or the orbiting assholes. <laughs> uh, you can actually shorten that to just ass, 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 the associated <laughs> assholes. Um, I think we've done about as much content on Lex as we have on David Fuller from uh, rebel wisdom, maybe four or five episodes, yeah. something around there with the, as them as orbiting. Um, lately we've been doing more on David Fuller cause he got really, he, he just he just has such a thin skin and he gets very upset at us. So And his grift is really gross. Right. That 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 thing where he's like charging old people five hundred dollars for a breath work course and shit is disgusting, actually. So at least Lex yep. isn't doing that yet. <laughs> so this yeah. is episode time. this is episode two fifty two of the Lex Fridman podcast. Uh it's gonna be him and Elon Musk talking about um SpaceX, Mars, Tesla autopilot, self driving, robotics, and AI. All subjects that Elon, well, SpaceX and Tesla, Elon kind of knows about. But anyway, this will be, it'll be whatever it is. I don't know. People will be infuriated. Maybe people are already looking for another podcast to check out. Who <laughs> fucking knows? The following is a conversation with Elon Musk. His third time on this, the Lex Friedman podcast. Yeah. Make yourself comfortable. Boo. Uh, no. Wow. Okay. <laughs> do you, you don't do the headphone thing? No. Okay. Right. Uh, I mean, how close do I get need to get this thing? The, the closer you are, the sexier you sound. Uh, hey, babe. What's yep. up? Can't get enough of the oil, baby. <laughs> oh, just no. Stop uh, it. I'm already grossed out. I don't like this at all. Oh, can I change <sighs> my mind and like women? Is that okay? <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm gonna clip that out anytime somebody messages me about it. If you want my body and you think I'm sexy, come right out and tell me so. Oh my <laughs> god! Oh, this is so Dude. weird. You remember, um, remember that movie, um, The Fifth Element? The guy, the the guy with the bad guy on The Fifth Element. Yeah, I'm getting big bad guy from Fifth Element vibes just from uh, Elon's hair in this. The one with like the plastic, yeah. like, yeah, that's actually who he is. <laughs> so, good. so good. Okay. So <laughs> serious mode. Activate. All right. <laughs> serious mode. Come on. You're Russian. You can be serious. Yeah, like, I know. Everyone's serious all the time in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. We'll get, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. It's gotten soft. Allow me to say that the SpaceX launch of human beings to orbit on May 30th, 2020, was seen by many as the first step in a new era of human space exploration. These human spaceflight missions were a beacon of hope, 
to me and to millions over the past two years is our world has been going through one of the most difficult periods in recent human history. We saw, we see the rise of division, fear, cynicism, and the loss of common humanity right when it is needed most. So first, Elon, let me say thank you for giving the world hope and reason to be excited about the future. Congratulations, SpaceX. Sorry about your CEO. Obviously, a lot of issues, and, and wouldn't it be uh, great if like SpaceX you know. and Tes- Tesla were like run by a fucking adult? Yep, that would be absolutely wonderful. People times do. Yeah, do there are so many that, like awesome, you know, competent people working at those companies, and it just sucks that like they have to deal with this dude's antics. Well, that, like you don't uh, see like. You don't see like Satya Nadella like posting a bunch of like conspiracy theories on Twitter because he's a fucking adult. So like I'm sure the SpaceX employees are like jealous of like Microsoft employees, Google employees, Apple employees. <laughs> like man, I wish our CEO was normal. I think it probably depends where you are in the pecking order because I bet the higher up you get in the pecking order of those two companies, the more the more the more likely it is that you've drank the Kool-Aid and that's kind of how you got there. Yeah. Because that's kind of how cult like groups work and he's got big cult leader vibes, you know? It just sucks for like the really talented, like smaller engineers. You know, I, I love humanity and I think we should uh, make sure we do everything we can to have a good future and, and an exciting future and, and one where that maximizes the happiness of the people. Let me ask about... Yeah, but like, you know, we could also do that for the present. That would be nice too. And also, this is the guy who who didn't doesn't really do anything to maximize happiness for people if they like even mildly disagree with him about anything publicly and they get any kind of platform about it. Like, if you remember, the remember when he sent that submarine to that place where the kids were trapped? I forget, what was somewhere over in, um, I think in the Pacific Rim somewhere where kids were trapped in a cave? underwater and he sent the submarine and then yeah, the, the dude then, was like the, you're then, not then helping the, then the di- then the diver was asked about his submarine after he stole uh, saved the kids and he's like oh i don't think the submarine would have worked and then elon called yeah. him a pedophile yep and then millions of elon fans <laughs> then proceeded to harass this guy so I'm not sure that yeah. he's really con- the like, guy who saved a bunch of kids. Yeah. So I'm not really think that he's like interested in the good of humanity, except that he won- he thinks that he's doing things that will make a history book write about him being one of the great men of history. That's like the way, and you know, what he cares about like humanity in like almost the most selfish way you possibly could. Yeah. Like if you consider wealth to be equal to greatness then sure he's great but if you consider greatness to be anything other than wealth then no he's absolutely not great i'm two so that that first flight with humans on board um, how did you feel leading up to that launch were you scared were you excited what was going through your mind so much was at stake yeah no that was extremely stressful no question um we obviously could not um let them down in any way. Um, so extremely stressful, I'd say, uh, to say the least. But we did. I was confident that at the time that we launched, that no one could think of anything uh, at all to do that would improve the probability of success. 
Um, and we, we racked our brains to think of any possible way to improve the probability of success. We could not think of anything more and, and nor could NASA. And so then that, that's just the best that we could do. So then we, we had, we went ahead and launched. Now I'm not a religious person. Um, but I nonetheless got on my knees and prayed for, for that mission. Why? Were you able to sleep? That's a weird thing to say. How did it feel? when it was a success first when the launch was a success like what a dumb question like i feel like that makes you a religious person right well sure i don't i don't you know i don't it's not for me to decide whether or not elon musk is religious just because he claims to have done one practice that we think is religious but the question the question the less lex just asked like oh how did it feel when it was a success what's he gonna say like what a dumb question <laughs> well like a fucking completely empty question or back to Earth. It was a great relief. Yeah. It, it's for, for high stress situations. I find it's it's not so much elation as relief. Um, and um, you know, I think once as as we we got more comfortable and proved out the systems, because you know we we really, um, you know, you got to make sure everything works. Um, I was, it was definitely a lot more uh, enjoyable with the subsequent uh, astronaut uh, missions. And I thought the, the inspiration mission was, was actually very inspiring um, inspiration for mission. Um, I'd, I'd encourage people to watch the inspiration documentary on Netflix. It's actually really good. Um, and it really isn't, I, I was actually inspired by that. Um, and I, 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 so that one I felt. Wait, you were inspired was, by a documentary about yourself? Oh my God! Does, does, is this guy like aware that people are listening to the things that he's saying? I think it was more about you know the the mission that he is the CEO of a company that was involved in. You know, I I doubt he had much to do with it. Uh, kind of you know, he's just the guy who writes yeah. the checks. Not he, even all the checks. NASA wrote most of the checks. Well, and to be to be fair, even his his company, it's not like he's there signing the checks, right? It's the payroll department. <laughs> yeah. Mission, not just be super stressed all the time. So, for people that somehow don't know, it's the all civilian first time, all civilian out to space, out to orbit. Yeah, and it was the high, I think the highest orbit that uh, in like I don't know thirty or forty years or something. The only one that was higher. Was the one shuttle? Uh, sorry, a Hubble uh, servicing mission, um, and then before that, it would have been um, Apollo in '72. It's pretty wild. So it's it's cool. It's good. You, you know, I think uh, as you know, as a species, like we want to be, you know, continuing to do better and and reach higher ground and and like I think it would be tragic, extremely tragic, if um, Apollo was the high water mark for humanity you know and that and that's as far as we ever got um and it's um it currently is and the way it's looking it's gonna be a long time until we go far we send man missions any farther than the moon yeah um this is something i, I had a conversation with people on reddit about this like it took us it takes us six hours to get to the iss roughly like if if everything goes well it takes about six hours to launch an astronaut from here on the ground up to the iss 
it takes three days to get to the moon. So, you know, six hours, that's barely enough for a potty break. Three days, that's like, you know, you need nine square meals uh, and a couple nights sleep in between. Uh, It takes nine months if you time it just right to get to Mars. The closest other thing in the solar system. Well, the closest other thing that we have any hope of. Mars is so much farther. The the closest other thing we can land on, there's like asteroids that pass by closer than Mars, but we don't (laughs) want to try to land on those. That sounds real dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, it is so much farther away. Mars is so much farther away than even the moon. You know, the moon looks like it's real far away, and it is, to be sure, but it still only takes three days to get there. Like, it takes... As long for me to drive up to Seattle as it does for us to get to the moon. So essentially, Seattle for me is as far away as the moon is. <laughs> right, depending on the vehicle. And like the, the, the problem with this is, not the problem, but if you go, if you're going to Mars, you have to accept that no matter how well it's planned, even if people have gone before, there's a high probability you're going to die. Because if anything yeah, goes nine wrong, nine months, if anything goes wrong, there's no possible way anybody's coming to help you nine months out at space and yeah if anything goes wrong you only have what's on board we cannot send anyone else to get you they would be there in like nine months and they might die on the way too like (laughs) yeah what's to say that the rescue mission get to mars If you don't complete what you have to do on Mars in like, I think it's like a month, then you have to stay there for two years before there's another window where you can get back. Because like, you know, the Earth and the moon are always really close to each other. But Mars is sometimes on the other side of the sun as Earth. And when it is, we cannot get there. There is no spaceship that we have that could fly a human as far as like, you know, two plus a little bit AUs, astronomical units. And, and, uh, you know, and this is just like mechanical failure too. What about like just human nature and being on like, what if somebody decides they want to kill you up there? I mean, like, I, I mean, this is just, this is just fraught and it's, it's, until we can get going a lot faster, I think the moon is going to be, unless something happens in our lifetime where we can like, like dramatically increase the, the rate of travel, I don't think we're going to see a human being on the moon in our lifetime. I'm not so sure it's the, the rate of travel. I think it's, we need to be able to uh, like build sustainable bases on Mars. And for that, the technology for that is just so far out. Like Elon Musk tries to tell us like, Oh, we're 10 years away from Mars, but it's like the proverbial 10 years where we're always 10 years away from it. We've been 10 years, we're 10 years away from nuclear fusion, flying cars. Yeah. Like it's always 10 to 15 years. It's just like the, the 10 to 15 years that will never come. So, you know, I don't think we're going to be on Mars for at least two decades, at least in any sort of like we go there and stay there way. 
I think the what would need to happen is like robotics technology would need to be such that we could send robots there that would be able to build some kind of structure. Yeah. Yeah, we would need something to build something for us there that we could just go land and unpack our bags. It's like a, it's like Jesus coming back, right? That 10 years thing. <laughs> yep. Just 10 years away. It's concerning. We're busy. Here we are. Um 49 years after the last mission to the moon. And so almost half a century uh and we've not been back. Um and that's that's worrying. It's like is that does that mean we've peaked as a civilization or, or what? So No, it's it the means 50- there's no reason to go back. And the other thing is the 50 years just isn't that long a time. So first of all, it costs a, a ass load of money to get to the moon. And I feel like Elon Musk would understand that. But maybe not, you know, to him an ass load of money might be the same as a pocket load of money. Uh it costs tons of money to get to the moon and once you're there there's very little to do right you know you it's like arizona you can play golf uh but you know the holes aren't aren't very well kept uh <laughs> there's no movie theaters at all uh there's barely any roads can't ship post you know just what was carved out from the one lunar rover we drove around for a little while can't accuse anybody of child abuse on Twitter once you're there. I mean, well, you might. I don't know. He probably has the technology to set up a a link to the moon. Like that would be feasible. But like, why would we go to the moon? What reason would we have? We already brought back a bunch of rocks from there, which is all there is up there. It's just rocks. I think like, the- it's not like we're gonna go there and find something new. I think. I mean, I think the. I think one thing we we could do from there would be to set up if we could like a launch pad so that you send yes. you send people to the moon first you send what you need to the moon and then from the moon it takes a lot less energy to escape the moon's gravity to head to where you're going next so it would yeah, be like build like, what you can on the moon like out of the the resources that are available on the moon but that would also take a lot of technology that we don't have. Again, so, we'd, we'd need mostly robots to build the shit on the moon, at least at first. Yes. Yeah, you can't just hire your local construction company and be like, uh, can you be at the moon on Monday? <laughs> we need you to build a, a little pod for us. We've got to get back to the moon and, and build a base there. You know, a science base, I think we could learn a lot about the nature of the universe if we have a proper science base on the moon. Um, you know, like we have a science For base what? in Antarctica and, you know, many other parts of the world. And um, so that, that... What would we thing. learn by having a base on the moon? Maybe uh, moon-based telescopes because there's less atmosphere there. But we already have space-based telescopes, so... Yeah, space telescopes are, are much better than moon telescopes. He mentioned bases in Antarctica, too. And Antarctica is a pretty unforgiving spot, but you can get a fucking plane up to Antarctica in a matter of hours, dude. Like, it's not... Also, I don't, I don't know if you know that... I don't know if he knows this. You can actually breathe in, Andar- in Antarctica. Right. You can walk outside. First of all, you can walk outside. Right. <laughs> you, don't need a, you, you don't need a special suit. Well, you kind of do. once it, you're I mean, outside... You kind of do. And you're still alive because you haven't... You haven't decompressed... Uh, you can breathe. 
I mean, to be fair, you kind of need a special suit to walk outside in Antarctica. What I'm wearing right now wouldn't really cut it. And I don't think I have anything in my closet that would cut it, right? <laughs> but the but the, the, the barrier yeah. to entry to getting what you need to be able to survive a little while outside at Antarctica is much, much smaller than the moon. Like, you could probably pick up what you need to survive for a few hours at, like, REI. You can't pick up a spacesuit at REI. Big thing we've got to... And, again, like, like what the fuck would we be doing up there? Like, what are we going to do on the moon that we can't do on Earth or in the ISS? Um, So that's, I think, the next big thing we've got to have like a, a serious like moon base um and then get people to mars and you know get get out there and be a spacefaring civilization i'll ask you about some of those details but he says that like it's just like uh, another hop but it's not like if you hop from you know earth to the moon and then do the same hop like keep going you're just like barely outside of the earth moon system you're not even close to Mars. So I think Elon subscribes to this, what we've talked about a little bit. I talk about it a lot kind of late at night is this great man of history uh, theory where n- n- no great man in history has put their head to this problem. And so it's actually easier than we think it is because he, a great man of history, has not put his mind to this problem of getting to Mars. I think that it's a common delusion uh, that, you know, the people think that they're Howard Hughes, right? And Howard Hughes was a wackadoodle and shit, but Howard Hughes was trying to do things on Earth <laughs> or in Earth's atmosphere with a plane, right? This is yeah. like a, this is, yes, the things that his, his company did were amazing. There were scientific and engineering marvels, but they were doing it on Earth. <laughs> and so it's like, the, it's just not as, it's, it's the, the the scale of the problem just seems to like escape him because he thinks he's just going to fucking brain it, you know? Yeah. I feel like he has to know, like he, a hun- there's a hundred percent chance that he knows how hard it is to get to Mars. Like he, he's for sure asked people like, Hey, how hard is it to get to Mars? And they've told him right now it's impossible. We would need a whole lot more technology to be able to do it. So, like, he definitely knows. So, why does he say shit like that? Where he's like, oh, you know, we just got to get to the moon. And then, you know, from there, we go to Mars. And then we're spacefaring. And it's like, I don't know if you knew this. I don't, again, I don't know if he knows this. But Mars is as far from the moon as it is from Earth. <laughs> right? I mean, I'll, sure, it's a little less far. But, like, if, if you... If you're drawing a line, right, <laughs> the lines would be the same length unless the li- unless you made the line so fucking big that you couldn't see both sides of it. And then again, you have a problem of the lines too big, right? <laughs> yeah, like at best, you know, if if the moon is in between Earth and Mars, you're three days closer out of a nine month trip. And that's assuming that there aren't things that we don't yet know that would add three days or five days to the trip if you launch from Mars or from the moon. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, yeah. who fucking knows, <laughs> right? It might yep. take longer for this reason or that. Yeah. So, like, again, what you brought up earlier, he didn't really mention is that you use the moon, the moon as a launching pad. Because it is easier to launch things from the moon than it is from Earth. 
but he didn't talk about that. He talked about a scientific base on the moon, which there's no reason to do that. I mean, at least Newt Gingrich wanted to put a fucking military base there to like shoot things at people on earth from that's like, it's a bad <laughs> idea and it's terrifying, but at least it like, you could, you could make sense of it. Right. Like you, you could have a, you know, if, if they, if some country like destroys your country, well, it's a lot harder to nuke the moon, isn't it? why would we want to do that like it would take so long for like even with our fastest weapons it would still take like like almost a day right but if there's like um to reach earth but if there's some kind of dead man switch or whatever like we're already dead so we don't care how long the weapon takes to destroy our enemy right (laughs) All right, good point. It's yeah, a, it's dead just, man switch on the moon. It's just, <laughs> not what could go wrong. <laughs> now all of a sudden the moon's the moon's uh, the moon the fucking computer on the moon accidentally started World War Three. Good job. <laughs> Actually, then the moon would be involved, so it'd be more than World War. Oh, that's right. <laughs> be, at, at least Earth orbit war one. Earth moon system war one. <laughs> Challenges. Of everything that's involved, are you, are you still able to marvel at the magic of it all, of space travel, of every time the rocket goes up, especially when it's a crewed mission? Or are you just so overwhelmed with the, all the challenges that you have to solve? And actually, sort of to add to that, oh, the quest I statement. To ask this question of May thirtieth, it's it's been some time, so you can look back and think about the impact already. It's already at the time it was an engineering problem, maybe. Now it's becoming a historic moment. Like it's a moment that how many moments will be remembered about the 21st century? I'm pretty sure Elon is not doing any of the engineering. Like he's talking to him like he's the engineer designing the rockets. Also, like, like this is the guy. Remember when we came up with the word quest statement? That's Lex. (laughs) Lex is Lex is how we came up with that. But like Elon, the Elon is not in in charge of engineering like elon is in charge of the guy who's in charge of the guy who's in charge of the guy who's in charge of the guys that are doing the engineering the people who are doing engineering sir yeah people all the way down that maybe inspiration for one of those would be remembered as the early steps of a new age of uh space exploration yeah i mean during the launches itself so i mean i think i think maybe some people know but a lot of people don't know. He's like, I'm actually the chief engineer of SpaceX. So, oh shit! <laughs> just, just bullshit. <laughs> uh, he told you, HK. He sure fucking showed you. <laughs> I mean, you could give yourself whatever fucking title you want. He's not engineering rockets. Um, the you know I've signed off on pretty much all the design decisions, um, and. You know, so if, if there's he's signed off so on the design decisions. Like okay, so he doesn't well, make them. Fundamentally, my fault. You know, so, um, so I'm really just thinking about all the things that, like, so, so when I see the rocket, I see all the things that could go wrong and the things that could be better. And the same with the Dragon spacecraft. It's uh, like other people will see, oh, this is a, a spacecraft or a rocket, and that's, this looks really cool. I'm like, I've, I've like a readout of like, this is the, these are, these are the risks, these are the pro- problems. That's what I see. Like, <laughs> so it's, 
not what other people see when they see the product, you know. So let me uh, ask you then to analyze Starship in that sense. No one else sees risks when they look at a rocket. In more detail about Starship in the near future, perhaps. You yeah, had we can that. talk about it now if you want. Um, but just in that same way, like you said, you see when you see a... Uh, when you see a rocket, you see a sort of a list of risks. In that same way, you said that Starship is a really hard problem. So there's many ways I can ask this, but if you magically could solve one problem perfectly, one engineering problem perfectly, which one would it be? On Starship? On, on, sorry, on Starship. So is yeah. it maybe related to the efficiency, the uh, the engine, the weight of the different components, the complexity of various things, maybe the controls of the, the crazy thing has to do to land? No, it's actually the, the by far the the biggest thing absorbing my time is uh, engine production. Hmm. Not not the design of the engine. The <laughs> I, I can't, I've often said prototypes are are easy. Production is hard. Um, so we have the most advanced rocket engine that's ever been designed. Um, the because I say currently the, the the best rocket engine ever is probably the RD one eighty or RD one seventy um, that that the, the Russian engine basically um, and um, and still it, I think an engine should only count if it's gotten something to orbit. Um, <laughs> so our engine has not gotten anything to orbit yet, um, but it is it's the first engine that's actually better than than the the, the Russian RD engines, which were amazing design. So you're talking about Raptor engine. What makes it amazing? What what are the different aspects of it that make it like? What are yeah. you the most excited about uh, if the whole thing works in terms of it pushes uh, real hard and goes up? Well, it's the Raptor is a a full flow uh, staged combustion um, engine, and it's at, at operating at a very high uh, chamber pressure. So one of the key figures of merit, or perhaps the key figure of merit, is um, what is the chamber pressure at which the rocket engine can operate? That's the combustion chamber pressure. Um, so a Raptor is uh, designed to operate at uh, 300 bar, possibly maybe higher. That's 300 atmospheres. So um, the record right now for operational engine is the RD engine that I mentioned, the Russian RD, which is, I believe, around 267. Uh, bar um, and the, the the difficulty of the chamber pressure is increases on a non-linear basis so 10 percent more chamber pressure is more like uh 50 percent more difficult <laughs> um, but that that chamber pressure is that, that that is what allows you to get a very high uh power density for uh for the engine um so uh enabling um a very high uh, thrust to weight ratio um, and um, a very high specific impulse. So specific impulse is like a measure of the efficiency of a rocket engine. Or, um, it's, it's really the the, the, uh, exhaust, the, the effect. So like, why doesn't he like give credit to the engineers that actually designed it? Great man of history theory. Yep. He's the lead engineer. It's it's all him. That's I mean that's why, right? Um, yeah, and he's explaining like a really simple concept too. It, it's just an exponent, right? He's like it's the same way in which you know a six point earthquake isn't 
just 20% stronger than a 5.0 earthquake. It's more like 100 times stronger because that is a I think it's logarithmic the uh the the, the scale for the uh yeah for the, 10 times stronger i think i thought each point right? was 10 anyway it doesn't matter what the specific is it's still like a logarithmic or exponential scale versus yeah. like just a linear and he, he's taking a long he took a very long time to explain that but this is supposed to be a show for like very scientifically literate people right that's like one of the things that lex sells his show as because he's like supposedly this big big shot ai engineer so yeah he's also not explaining how any of it works he's just saying like oh our new engine is really good it's got higher numbers than all the other engines like okay well how'd you get them there well how did you get such high chamber pressure in it do you know a turbo man he used a turbo (laughs) i'm sorry a supercharger a supercharger and a turbocharger (laughs) of, of the gas coming out of the engine um so, uh, with a, with a very high chamber pressure, you can have um, a a compact engine that nonetheless has a high expansion ratio, which is the ratio between the uh, um, exit nozzle uh, and the uh, throat. So you, you know, engines got like you see a rocket engine's got like sort of like a like a hourglass shape. It's like a chamber, and then it necks down, and there's a nozzle, and the ratio of the the, the exit diameter to the the throat uh, expansion ratio. So why is it such a hard engine to manufacture at scale? Uh, it's very complex. So a lot um, of com- what does complexity mean here? There's a lot of components involved. There's a lot of a lot of oh, good question, Lex. Are there a lot of components involved in a fucking rocket that sends you to space? Fucking galaxy brain. Good question, Lex. Thanks. <laughs> Gee, I thought there were just like I thought there were just like a handful. Actually, I just thought it was like a few things, like the like the the explodey part and the part that controls the explodey part. I thought that's all you really needed. Actually, just two parts. Look, when I was a kid, I made model rockets. All you need is a little tube, little cone on top couple popsicle sticks for fins and then a little rocket engine in the back light it on fire boom you're in space uh unique <laughs> materials that uh, so we had to invent a, a, a several alloys that don't exist in order to make this engine work um so uh, material we had to invent several alloys that problem. don't exist and to make this work i'm skeptical of, of that claim I'd be willing to bet that he's... I think the claim is true. I just think he worded it in such an awful way. I'd be, I'd be more willing to, to accept a claim. That's more like we used, we were the first ones to use certain types of alloys in this process. I I, I just think what he said was tautological. And, um, in in a, in a staged combustion, a full flow stage combustion, there, there are many, uh, feedback loops in the system. So, uh, basically, you've, you've got uh, propellants and 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 uh, hot gas flowing <laughs> um, to, simultaneously to so many different places on the engine, um, and uh, they they all have a recursive effect on each other. So you change one thing here, it has a recursive effect here. It changes something over there, and and it's 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 quite hard to control. Are you uh, trying to explain to us that? Um components to a system changes to components in a system impact the way the entire system works is that what he's saying he is saying that yes that's fucking brilliant 
smartest man in the world. Um, the, like there's a reason <laughs> no one's made this before. Um, but um, well, because SpaceX invented it. What, what do you mean? There's uh, a reason no one's made it before. Combustion uh, full flow is, is because it it has the highest uh, the highest uh, theoretical possible uh, efficiency. Um, so, and in, in, in order to make a fully reusable rocket, um, which that, that's the really the holy grail uh, of orbital rocketry, um, you have to have everything's got to be the best. Uh, it's got to be the best engine, the best airframe, the best heat shield, um, extremely light uh, avionics, um, very, you know, very clever control mechanisms. Um, you've got to shed mass in, in, in any possible way that you can. Um, for example, we are instead of putting landing legs on the booster and ship, we are going to catch them with a tower to save the weight of the landing legs. Legs. So that's like, I mean, we're talking about catching the largest flying object ever made uh, with on a giant tower with with chopstick arms. It's like Karate Kid with yeah. the fly, but much bigger. <laughs> I mean, pulling so well, it's not like karate. It's not really a whole lot more complicated than just landing it on legs. And it's not like Karate Kid with the fly because the fly just kind of goes wherever, right? Because it's a fly. Yeah. Uh, like, yes, it does have to be more precise than landing it on legs, but essentially, it's the same idea, right? Right. You just the legs are instead of the legs being on the bottom. In that case, the legs were like near the top of the fuselage and the. They're just things that extend out. And instead of them contacting the ground, they're contacting like uh, arms coming off of a tower. You still the, the the you still have to get it going fucking almost basically zero speed at the right time so that shit doesn't break and fall. And, you know, yeah, you, that's that's one of the problems. This I just I just don't like the 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 with the chopsticks and the fly because the fly is just like and you got to predict where the fly is going to be. The fly isn't like computer controlled and us like hopefully going to go where you told it. So it's like actually nothing like catching the fly with the chopsticks. <laughs> uh, he's not so great with analogies. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this is bananas. This is banana stuff. So you mentioned that you doubt. Well, not you doubt. Well, no, I feel like that's that's a much easier thing going from like landing a rocket on legs to landing a rocket on like some chopstick arms, as he called them. That's a much easier thing than it is to design a rocket engine that's like much more, uh, much higher pressure than the best rocket engine designed so far. Those two things aren't similar. Right. And the, I mean, the problem with the pressure, I mean, it, you don't need, it can kind of go unsaid, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, explosions. <laughs> That's the problem with the pressure. Well, a rocket engine is an explosion. Right. But I mean, you don't want it explosion. to, you want it to, you don't want it to explode out the side. <laughs> yeah. You want it all to explode out the bottom. Right. If it, it starts exploding out the top or the sides, you're not going to space that day. Right. That's the difference between a launch and an explosion is which, which yeah. way the, which way the force goes essentially. It's when you doubt that this is even possible. It's so difficult. The possible part is, well, at, at this point, <clears throat> we'll, I think we will, we'll get Starship to work. Um, 
um, there's a question of timing. How long will it take us to do this? Uh, how long will it take us to actually achieve uh, full and rapid reusability? Because um, it will take uh, probably many launches before we are able to have full and rapid reusability. Um, but I can say that that the physics pencils out. Like the like we're not. Uh, I doubt he's ever going to get like this full point, reusability. Right, because your car doesn't have full reusability. Right, like you have to replace the tires. Well, it does in between repla- like launches like trips right but that's what i mean is like your car doesn't his teslas aren't fully reusable eventually you have to replace parts (laughs) on them right and they're not really going anywhere but but on the road i think what he means is like you know you take it off you take off with it you bring it back down you land you put on a new payload and you take off with it again you know no replacing parts in between the two launches but i feel like there's always going to be things that have to be replaced in between two launches like like space flight is so much more dangerous if you don't do that right you know it's it's not like a car where if it fails it just rolls to a stop you know rockets don't roll to a stop they fall out of the sky right but also like if you just think of managing like a fleet of trucks not every one of those trucks like if they all you send a hundred trucks out you're not going to be able to just fill all hundred of them again. You know what I mean? One of them is going to need something, something done. So I just feel like we yeah. can't even do what he's talking about with vehicles, the cars, essentially. Yeah. To an extent, to a certain extent. Yes. But I'm, I mean, like even just in between launches, there's, if you're not, if you're designing parts to be re- reused in between launches you're going to get to the point where there's a part that you decide okay we can reuse it if we get it like this and then at that point you're introducing risk that you don't need to right and even if you end up not having to replace any parts the inspection time it would be i can't even imagine like you know what i'm saying you just shot this fucking shit into space and you need to inspect it so that you know it's going to work again the next time I mean, what, six months of inspections? Like, I, I, yeah. can't, even, I can't even imagine. Like, refurbishment is always going to be a thing on rockets. We're confident that, we, that like, let's say, we, I'm, I'm very confident success is in the set of all possible outcomes. Mm. All right. It's not <laughs> an all set. Of- <laughs> for, for, for a while there, I was not convinced that success yeah. was in the set of possible outcomes, <laughs> so, <laughs> which is very important, actually. <laughs> but so we were... Um, um so you're it, it, saying it, there's a chance i'm saying there's a chance exactly right, cool. um uh just not sure how 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 long it will take uh but we have a very very talented team they're working night and day to make it happen um well maybe you should let them go home at night and uh <laughs> and like, like i said the, the, yeah. the, the critical thing to achieve for the revolution in space. Yeah, didn't it just come out today that he's going to make Twitter is to have a Twitter employees work like 12 hour days, 7 days a week. I I mean, he just he just fucking says shit. I don't know, if, you know. I mean, I fucking don't know. He just says shit, man. <laughs> that's a problem. I mean, that's during my time at Google, there were times that they did pressure us to work maybe not quite that extreme, but they pressured us to work very long hours and i feel like when management does that it's because they're cheap asses 
they won't just assign more resources to the problem. They'll like push you to your breaking point. Right. And I don't mean they'll push you right up to your breaking point. I mean, they'll push you to your breaking point. That's why there's high turnover in those kind of jobs. And with, with something like engineering a spacecraft, I would like to know that the people who engineered the spacecraft that I'm on got a good night's sleep most nights. It's just me. Just crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy talk. But I would like to know that they're getting a good night's sleep, actually. Everyone involved. Maybe yep. take a day off before the launch, go do something you enjoy, make sure you get a good night's rest. I would love that. That would be, that would make me feel a lot more comfortable than, you know, those shirts that <clears throat> famously in that movie about Apple, those shirts were the people that worked at Apple were like 96 hour work week and proud of it. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? You know, it's like, yeah, that's, I would never be proud of that. I'd never be proud as a, as an employer. If my employees were working those hours. Right. Like I'd be very upset if I found out, like if I was employing people and I found out, even if I didn't tell them to, if they just decided to work 96 hours a week, I'd be like, no, you go home. I'm going to stop you from working once the day is done. Right. You're doing bad work. If you're spending, you can't be doing good work. Even if they're doing good work, it's like, that's not sustainable. You should have a life outside of your job. Like go the fuck home rocket orbital rocket um there's not even been any orbital rocket that's been fully reusable ever and this has always been the 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 the, the holy grail of rocketry um and uh many smart people very smart people uh, have tried to do this before and they've not succeeded so uh, i mean the holy grail of airplanes is an airplane that uses no fuel and gets to its destination instantly but you know no one's invented that either and also, like, just this idea of fully reusable just means that none of your parts ever wear out. Like, that's fucking stupid. I don't care, like, what you, who engineered it or what it's made out of. Like, just this, this idea of, like, fully reusable is ridiculous. Even if it means, like, it can fly two missions before you need to change it. Like, if every single component on your rocket is that way, you've made, you've made decisions to include worse components. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm not, I have, I have very little, I'm not a, a rocket engineer, but what, like, I'm just saying that this is, this is, the reason it's called a holy grail is because it doesn't exist. Yep. <laughs> the holy grail didn't exist. <laughs> like, like, come on. Yep. Like, what, what, like, come on, don't even, this guy's not even good at, he doesn't even understand the metaphor. <laughs> um, Cause it's su such a hard problem. What's your source of belief in situations like this when the engineering problem is so difficult? There's a lot of experts, many of whom you admire, who have failed in the past. Yes. And um, a lot of people, you know, the, a lot of experts, maybe journalists, all the kind of, you know, the public in general have a lot of doubt about whether it's possible. And you yourself know that uh, even if it's a non-null set, non-empty set of success, it's still unlikely or d very difficult. Like, where do you go to, both personally, um, intellectually, as an engineer, as a team, like for source of strength needed to sort of persevere through this and to uh, keep going with the project, take it to completion? 
What is he asking him? He asks like, what keeps you going? And I, I already got it. Ego. Money. Ego. Oh, yeah, you're right. Ego and money. Yeah. I mean, it's ego. I mean, he's raking in like billions of dollars from NASA. So like, why wouldn't he? A source of strength. Hmm. I, I just really not how I think about things. Um, I mean, for me, it's simply this. This is something that is important to get done, um, and we we should just keep doing it um, or die trying. And I, I don't need. Oh, sir, it would be other people who died trying. It would not be you. You're not the <laughs> one working yourself to death on this, my friend. Yeah, that's what he meant. He he didn't say him die trying. Someone. Other people die trying. Someone's going to die trying or they're fired. <laughs> the quitting is not even like, um, that's not, it's not in my nature. Okay. And I, I don't care about optimism. What do you mean? It's not, you tried to quit the Twitter deal. Fuck that. We're going to get it done. <laughs> going to get it done. <laughs> Can you, uh, then zoom back in to specific problems with starship or any engineering problems you work on? Can you try to introspect your particular biological neural network, your what? thinking process, and describe how you think through problems, through different engineering? And hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. One more time, Lex. What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, then zoom back in to specific problems with Starship or any engineering problems you work on. Can you try to introspect your particular biological neural network, your thinking process, and describe how you think through problems, through different engineering and design problems? Is there like a systematic process? You've spoken about first principles thinking, but yeah, is there a kind of absolutely. process to it? Well, um, yeah, I like saying like, like physics is law and everything else is a recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, like I've met a lot of people who can break the law, but uh, I haven't met anyone who could break physics. <laughs> so, uh, so the first, for, you know, any kind of technology problem, you have to sort of just make sure you're not violating physics um and you know uh first principles analysis i think is something that can be applied to really any walk of life uh any anything really it's just it's it's really just saying um you know let's let's boil something down to the most fundamental uh principles the things that we are most confident are true at a foundational level and that sets your, your, sets your axiomatic base, and then you reason up from there, and then you cross-check your conclusion against the, the axiomatic truths. Um, so, um, you know, some basics. In well, he just like described introductory philosophy. Or something right, like and a lot of these, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of like libertarian kind of people love this kind of first principles idea. It's like, the like, I think you and I are probably a lot alike in that we are not really driven. We don't really think about first principles. We're more concerned with like good outcomes, right? Um, yeah. It's, it's a consequentialism versus deontologism where, um, you know, you, you and I are primarily consequentialists. Sure, we have some first principles like don't hurt other people, don't be a bigot, those kinds of things. But we also maybe came to those conclusions through... Um, seeing the outcomes of when people are hurting other people, you know, maybe we notice it, it causes bad outcomes when you go around hurting other people. So maybe it isn't even a first principle. Maybe we just, you know, learning from our parents, learning from history, learning from people who influenced us when we were young, we learned that being violent, uh, going, killing people is a bad outcome because somebody dead who shouldn't have been dead before. 
and a lot of these like kind of the, the a lot of the idw people a lot of um and a lot of libertarians are more on the the deontological side where they uh just think that like this first principle of like for the libertarians the common one is like the non-aggression principle right that they think that if everybody just lives by the non-aggression principle maybe that we don't need government control and monopolies of force from the government that's sort of like a huge a huge like disconnect between different ways of thinking and different ways of looking at the world and i generally don't agree i generally don't agree with people who think everything is from first principles or think that first principles are very important just because like it breaks down when circumstances change and you have to change your mind right <laughs> i mean yep that's like that's like some intro to full philosophy shit right there i suppose <laughs> like that, you know then you you're, it's not gonna work <laughs> um so uh that's the, you know so that's just to establish is it is it, is it possible and then another good physics tool is thinking about things in the limit. If you if you take a particular thing and you uh, scale it to a very large number or to a very small number, how does how do things change? Um, well, it's like tempor like in number of things you manufacture or something like that, and then in time. Yeah, like let's say say take an example of like um, like manufacturing, which I think is just a very underrated problem, um, and and. Uh, like I said, it's it's much harder to take a, 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 an advanced technology product and bring it into volume manufacturing than it is to design it in the first place. My orders of magnitude. So, um, so let's say you're trying to figure out is um, like why is this this uh, part or product expensive? Is it um, because of something fundamentally foolish that we're doing, or is it because our volume is too low? And so then you say, okay, well, what if our volume was a million units a year? Is it still expensive? That's what I mean by thinking about things in the limit. If it's still expensive at a million units a year, then volume is not the reason why your thing is expensive. There's something fundamental about the design. Uh, maybe the components cool. cost so a lot. So now he just described introductory economics. Like maybe the components are just expensive and it doesn't matter how many of them you buy because whoever's selling the components is able to get the amount of money they're able to get, whether you buy one or a hundred. Yeah, well, that would be price gouging. So, yeah, again, this is just like introductory I mean, economics. Is it price gouging? If if somebody wants to buy 100 or something, you charge them the same as somebody buying one? Well, I mean, if you're controlling the price, if you're like a single source and you're controlling the price and you're charging an exorbitant price, then yeah, that's price gouging. Or if you yourself have to make the make the components and it just costs what it costs to make it, no matter how many you make, for whatever reason, a labor... Um, yeah if uh raw materials cost uh any number of things yeah but he was talking about that but again that's just like these are like really introductory level issues that he's talking about so i don't really understand like why he's bringing them up um i would imagine that everyone who's listening to this show would already know that so if i think that like things are that are produced in small scale are generally more expensive than things that are produced in large scale and it's because of you know higher manufacturing equals lower cost right and 
not for nothing, if you wanted to have somebody to come on and talk about manufacturing shit at scale, uh, there's a there's a gentleman named Tim Cook who works for a company named Apple, who would probably have <laughs> a lot more to say about uh, this because his job before he was the CEO, he was organized the fucking supply chain. So uh, maybe if you want to have that conversation, I'm no big fucking yeah. Tim. Well, Cook I mean, stan. I'm, no this... big, I'm no big Tim Cook stand, but Jesus Christ, like talk like. If you're going to talk about that, talk about that with somebody who has done it over and over and over again, effectively with different types of products, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in this, in this regard, Elon Musk probably is really good. Like I would imagine the guy is very good at going from like prototype to mass manufacturing. Uh, at least he's got enough money to be able to do it effectively several times. Uh, it does help that he started out with a lot of money. You know, he, he started out with a really good hand and he was able to turn that into a better hand. Uh, and, and not but, for nothing, not for nothing. Like, I mean, he, not for nothing. He like basically took Tesla from someone else too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he bought it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yep. Yeah. He, uh, very few of the companies people think people associate with him. He actually started. He started PayPal and he started SpaceX. I'm pretty sure most of the other companies people think of when they think of him, he just bought. Oh, the only other one is Tesla. You know what? We can be really glad that uh, because of PayPal, Elon Musk and Peter Thiel fucking hate each other. Because imagine <laughs> the fucking horrible world we would live in if they would have continued to work together. Yeah. Uh, there, there are some other companies that he's associated with. But anyway, my, my point was like, he probably does have some good insights on this, but he's not actually talking about him. He's just explaining like the very fucking basics of it to this guy. And it's like, maybe if Lex were a better interviewer, he could go, do you have any more in-depth insights to this? <laughs> so, um, the, the, the thing that nobody, the, the, like the elephant in the room about Lex's audience and Lex's show is Lex is what his project is, is he want his audience feels smart. They're smarter than you because they're part of Lex's audience. But a lot of the time, what his guests are saying when they're saying things that are true, those things are maybe not so much obvious, but knowable without the benefit of Lex talking to somebody like Elon Musk. And when his guests say things that are not ordinary, it's people like fucking Eric Weinstein going on there claiming to have unified physics. So <laughs> it's either, either the people on there are telling you things that are knowable, fairly not necessarily always easily, but knowable via, via other avenues and possibly no explained better by someone else or it's like somebody like Jordan Peterson on there just fucking waxing poetic about some bullshit. <laughs> so that's the thing about this guy's show is it, it it's targeted mostly at dudes probably 25 to 50 who just desperately want to be smart. Like that's a you know what I mean? They're like logic boys kind of. And that's yeah. that's that's the thing that's going on with Lex and his show. And having someone like Elon Musk come on to explain basically a very simple, you know, a simple explanation of the economy of scale allows his audience to feel like they're very smart because they get it. 
Yeah. And can focus on the com reducing the complexity or something like that. And the design. change the design to change change the part to be something that is uh, uh, not fundamentally expensive. But but it, like that's a common thing in rocketry because the the unit volume is is relatively low, and so a common excuse would be, well, it's expensive because our unit volume is low. Um, and if we were in like automotive or something like that or consumer electronics, then our costs would be lower. I'm like I'm like okay, so let's say we skip, now you're making a million units a year. Is it still expensive? If the answer is yes, then uh, economies of scale are not the issue. Do you throw into manufacturing? Do you throw like supply chain? Talked about resources and materials. My mind is yeah, so blown over that. Of trying to reason from first principles, like how we're going to make the supply chain work here. Yeah, yeah. And then the cost of materials, things like that. Or is that yeah, too much? Uh, exactly. So, um, like another, like a good example, I think of thinking about things uh, in the limit is um, if you take any, uh, you know, any any product, any machine, or whatever. Um, like take a rocket or whatever, uh, and say, um, if you've got, if, if you look at the raw, raw materials in the rocket, um, so you're going to have like, uh, I don't know, aluminum, steel, titanium, inconel, uh, specialty alloys, um, copper, and, and you say, what are the, how, what, what, what's the weight of the constituent elements of, of each of these elements, and what is their raw material value? And that sets the, asymptotic limit for how uh, low the cost of the vehicle can be unless you change the, the materials. So, and then when you do that, I call it like maybe the magic wand number or something like that. So that would be like, if you had the, you know, a, 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 like just a, a pile of these raw materials here and you could wave the magic wand and rearrange the atoms into the final shape. Um, that would be the lowest possible cost that you could make this thing for unless you change the materials. So then, and that is always a, almost always a, a very low number. Um, so then the, the, what's actually causing things to be expensive is how you put the atoms into the desired shape. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind me taking a tiny tangent, had a, I often talk to Jim Keller. Wow, it costs money to manufacture things. Right. You Holy shit, take... man. I, I can't believe I never figured that out before. You can't just take a bunch of iron ore and fucking wave a magic wand at it and make a car wheel. Good, good insight, Elon. Yep. Thanks. I'm sorry, aluminum. Fucking wow! I'm it, genius over here. Wheels are made of aluminum now. It was, oh yeah, was yeah. Jim was uh, yeah did great work at Tesla. So, um, I suppose he carries the flame of the same kind of thinking that mm -hmm. you're you're talking about now. Um. And I, I guess I see that same thing at, at Tesla and and uh, SpaceX folks who work there. They kind of learn this way of thinking, and it kind of becomes obvious almost. But anyway, I had um, argument, not argument. Uh, he educated me about how cheap it might be to manufacture a Tesla bot. We just we had an argument. What is? How can you reduce the cost of scale of, of producing a robot? Because so I got a chance to interact quite a bit. Um, obviously in, in the academic circles with humanoid robots and then Boston Dynamics and sure. stuff like that. And they're, they're very expensive to, to build. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Jim kind of schooled me on saying like, okay, like this kind of first principles thinking of how can we get the cost of mm -hmm. manufacture down? Um, I suppose you do that. You have done uh, that kind of thinking for Tesla bot and for all kinds of 
all kinds of complex systems that are traditionally seen as complex. And you say, okay, how can we simplify everything down? Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you, if you are really good at manufacturing, you can basically make at high volume, you can basically make anything for a cost that asymptotically approaches the raw, raw material value of the constituents plus any intellectual property that you need to do license. <laughs> anything. Labor. <laughs> Rent. Like, come on, dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, that's right, but it's so fucking obvious. Like, okay, to run this 3D printer behind me, it takes, you know, plastic. There's the cost of this filament that's sitting on top of it. And then it takes electricity and then it takes parts on the 3D printer that are that I have to replace. And that's it. So like it's so fucking obvious that like yes, if I wanted to make like maybe uh I don't know a a million of these drawers that I'm printing right now, I could buy a bunch of expensive machinery and each one I would produce in like one one hundredth of the time and it would cost me the same in materials. So like manufacturing scale costs of manufacturing if you if you make it cheaper to make it it costs less to make it fucking genius Elon. Oh my god. I can't believe how much smarter I am now that that Elon has explained all this to me. Hey, it just finished the print. <laughs> we um we are now going to uh take our leave of this infuriating content. Um we usually go right up to an hour and a half, <laughs> but I just I can't take it. I just can't fucking take it anymore. Is I, there going to be a test cuz I might need to study for the test. And by study for the test, I mean get really drunk cuz all of that was so goddamn obvious. So that's the, that's the point. It's the, it's the larger project of these kind of IDW and IDW adjacent people. Again, it's like what they're telling you that's true is obvious. They just use a lot of words to say it, or maybe not obvious. Some of it may be a little more technical, but you can find the information yourself, right? It's known information. And when these people go off into anything that's new or novel, they're almost always full of shit. And it makes an audience like the audience Lex has cultivated feel like they're very intelligent because they've consumed this content and they've, they've grokked the parts that are obvious and they can say that they, they're interested in what visionaries are saying about bullshit. And it's, I guess it's not a bad hustle if you can get it. It's just immoral and like intellectually bankrupt. And yep. you generate a whole class of people that I don't want to talk to at a fucking dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Like if somebody, if you were at a dinner party and something, you were like, if there's somebody's like, oh, I listen to podcasts. You, first of all, you better be like already like trying to spot who else you might talk to <laughs> because, because <laughs> like, come on, as podcasters and people like people who listen to a lot of podcasts we're, we're not the we're not the best class of people to meet at a dinner party overall anyway but then you go oh, what do you listen to and you might you know I, they might be like oh you know i kind of like radio lab and i listen to this cool music podcast out of out of nashville and you're like oh this person's actually cool it could go the other way <laughs> yeah. i listen to exclusively joe rogan 
<laughs> and I love it when he talks about his conspiracy theories. Or I like the Lex podcast and I'm really upset that Eric Weinstein hasn't been able to sue everybody who made fun of him because I really want him to bring the portal back. Sometimes I also listen to Rebel Wisdom. You're like, oh shit, I gotta go. Was Eric Weinstein on Joe Rogan? Many times. Okay, yeah. So I listened to I listened to Joe Rogan and Lex Fridman, and I only listen when Eric Weinstein is on. Right. Well, you want to sit next to me at the dinner table? Right. And it's it's just this. It's for me. That's the same thing. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts. Is the brain like sets off a lot of the same kind of alarm bells as somebody tells me they're interested in philosophy. <laughs> Not that you end up in a conversation with somebody where you touch on philosophical ideas. Those are good conversations. You probably want to maybe make sure you get that person's contact information because you touched on some interesting things. But if somebody tells you mm -hmm. they're into podcasts or philosophy as like in the first couple minutes, you meet them at a cocktail party or a dinner party. You're just probably not that far off from talking about IQ tests. I just, I just don't, nope. I think you're, you're, <laughs> you're getting pretty close. You're already, you're, you're already orbiting the sun in uh, far enough away that you're not getting burned, but you're flying pretty close. <laughs> so, um, I guess that's the pod this time. We're not going to listen to the rest of this during the post game. A lot of times we do this week. We're not going to do that. We're going to find something less infuriating to listen to. <laughs> like, yeah, thank you for that. We're going to maybe listen to um, Adam Carroll on the Trigonometry podcast, or maybe just an interview with fucking weird-ass Steven Pinker. Um, something less annoying than what we just listened to. Possibly um, Larry Elder maybe running for president in 2024, the Ruman Report, or uh, Why Tulsi Left the Left on the Matt Walsh Show. Who knows? But it's going to be less infuriating than this, and I'm going to have a cocktail. Lights are going to be red. HK, why don't you read the show out? All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We do this show live on Twitch every Wednesday at 7 p.m. So if you're listening on the podcast and you want to check us out live, come check us out. Talk to us in chat. We will respond sometimes. Uh, and as Dave mentioned, we go into red light after the show every uh, every Wednesday. So you can stick around for LED, red light if you're here live. Check out our other shows on echoplexmedia.com. Check out our Patreon and send us a few bucks if you want to at patreon.com slash echoplex. And now to close out the show, here is Boomers by Periscope. We'll be right back for Red Light, if you're live.
Can't get enough Echoplex and want to keep the conversation going with the hosts and community when we're not live? Then join our Discord server at discord.me slash Echoplex. We have text channels, voice channels, meme repositories, and a whole section of screenshots that we don't even remember where they came from. Come join the Now Space on Discord at discord.me slash Echoplex.